This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Welcome to the latest episode of The Obsessive Viewer, where a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be a genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, and also check out the blog at uh, obsessiveviewer.com, where I just recently posted a review of Bloodline Season 1, and I have some Marvel reviews posting in the near future. And by some, he means all of them. All of them, yes. I, <laughs> yeah. Like the other day, I was so happy because I scheduled the first seven of uh like 17 total Jeez. that will eventually go up well i don't know if it's 17 i'm thinking of my other review thing it's a lot though seven is a lot seven's <laughs> a lot <Yeah. laughs> let alone 17 <laughs> so look at that look for that on obsessiveviewer.com in the coming weeks and uh also come see us at indie popcon it's june 26th to the 28th at in, at the indianapolis convention center uh, is it Indianapolis or Indiana Convention Center? I believe it's Indianapolis. Indianapolis. I thought so. Uh, we'll be recording throughout the weekend and giving away DVDs at the booth. Uh, and tickets are available at IndiePopCon.com. Uh, so this week, Tiny, we're talking about war movies mm-hmm. in honor of Memorial Day. But before we get started on that, um, I want to just briefly touch on the news that broke out yesterday as of this recording. We're recording on Tuesday, the 26th of May. Um, Carrie Fukunaga, Fukunaga, I just say Fukunaga. I have no idea if that's right. Fukunaga, yes. Carrie Fukunaga, um, officially departed the, the production of it, the, the remake of it, uh, that he was working on. It was going to be, I believe it was going to be a two, Two-part movie? Two movies? Yeah, at least two. Maybe even a trilogy, yeah. I think. I, yeah, I think they were talking about potentially making it a trilogy. Yeah. Um, but it, what's interesting about this is that this happened three weeks before filming began. Right. <laughs> and they had uh, the cast all lined up and everything. Yeah, they had the cast lined up. They had, they had the actor for Pennywise uh, lined up, which was going to be interesting because like, it was a fairly young, young guy they had for Pennywise, and I was kind of curious how that was going to play out. But... Mm-hmm. Um, so now according to new line, um, the project is pretty much postponed indefinitely. I don't, I don't think it's going to get made. Yeah. I don't know if it will either. Yeah. Which it's, it's troubling. I guess they were saying that there were, there were rumors that, um, Carrie Fukunaga wanted to take it in a direction, um, that the studio wasn't really comfortable with, which is kind of, I mean, par for the course with Hollywood really. Yeah. But there was also rumors that um, the poor performance of Poltergeist, the Poltergeist remake, hmm. was a factor in it, which I thought was funny because because the promotions for Poltergeist uh, heavily featured clowns. And oh, I was just yeah. like, that's that's kind of – my cynical side is like, that sounds right. Yeah, Hollywood yeah. sees a movie, a remake of, of a known property – underperforming that features clowns and then suddenly that means oh it's not going to be successful clown studies show the clowns are trending down right now that's what that's what it was there was exactly. a there was a memo that, right. i guarantee you yeah you're right absolutely and and the thing that i kind of keep coming back to about it is that this is it's a shame because it was a uh, it was a it was an ambitious project and mm-hmm. being huge Stephen king fans as as we are 
his work really deserves ambitious projects. It does. And this kind of uh, studio interference is not really conducive to a quality Stephen King adaptation. True. <laughs> which those are kind of few and far between. Yeah. I kind of wonder if it is one of the one of his stories that is not adaptable really. You can't truly I think it's one of those properties that cannot be adapted in the same spirit as the story because probably so many of his right. of his works are too. So that's Right. Even the stuff that gets made of his that's like that's pretty good. The book just blows it out of the water. Oh, absolutely. And it does it doesn't live up to what is built in the book and I think it is probably one I've never read it, mm-hmm. but I basically know what happens and what it is, right? Um, because I just I'm such a big fan, and he he has uh, bled that yeah. that story it's interconnected into, to the rest of his right, universe to so many other things. So I kind of know what happens, and it it sounds very difficult to adapt. Oh yeah, it sounds very good. To, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's a shame, and I'll say this briefly, and then we can move on to our main topic, but. In at, we're at a time where, uh, and this has been talked about before, and I think probably on this podcast before, but we're at a time where where studios are really hurting for, they're really hard up for shared universes and stuff like that. I mean, like Ghostbusters is talking about having a shared universe and spinoffs and stuff like that. Stephen King, I mean, ah, that's so ripe for a a big shared universe experience kind of thing. It is. Um, Not necessarily like too interconnected, except for when you factor in like Dark Tower and stuff like that. Right. But I mean, just he creates these worlds in these, in these settings that could be adjacent to each other and kind of reference in passing each other. And it could be very beneficial. It would be so much fun for the fans. Oh, it'd be just a blast. Like us. It would be, it would be so much fun to see the, like Mike, Mike always talks about Easter eggs in yeah. the comic book movies. The, Carrie, or, oh wow. Um, uh, Stephen King mm-hmm. stories are just, to use your word, ripe for stuff like that. Yeah. And fans like you and me be like, oh, oh, he said yeah. Roland. He said Roland. The character's <laughs> name is Roland. Or exactly. Whatever. You know, like we would, we would froth at the mouth over that. Stuff. Oh, absolutely. Like in our Marvel retrospective, uh, one of Mike's complaints about the Avengers is that there wasn't a lot of Easter eggs and stuff. Like, I would, I would love for one day you and I to sit down and and talk on a podcast and say, well, there wasn't a lot of a lot of Easter eggs in the Gunslinger. Yes. Like that would just be that would be just the tits. Oh, it would. Uh, uh. So anyway, <laughs> we'll talk about Stephen King another day. I'm sure. Oh, he um, will come up at some point. Oh yeah, oh yeah, he has and will. Um, but today, Tiny, what are we talking about? I'm talking about war movies, and this is in uh, it's in uh memory or in respect to Memorial Day, mm-hmm. uh, not Barbecue Day, but Memorial Day. Right. Um, and in the spirit of that, um, to in order to remember what Memorial Day is really about, right now, go to your compu- computer and Google a uh, Marine veteran named John K. Rankel. He's a guy that we went to high school with. I played mm-hmm. football with him for years. Uh, he was killed in Afghanistan. And if you really want to know what Memorial Day is about, it's about guys like that mm-hmm. who... Gave the ultimate sacrifice, you know, fought every day. Uh, he was kind of a cream of the crop guy. He was super smart. Everybody loved him. He was really respected even by adults. And he chose to take all of his talents and apply it to the Marine Corps and mm-hmm. to defend the country and stuff like that. So that's what Memorial Day is, Memorial Day is about. Right. And uh, we both honor that as yeah. well. We, we, we always 
it's always a, a holiday that means a lot to me. Right. Yeah. Same here. Well said. Well said. So the topic for the day is uh, war movies. Just uh, it, war. It's what is it good for? It, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that I was going to make that joke. <laughs> gotcha. But yeah, nice. Well done. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, it's depicted a lot in fiction. Uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, some some movies and, and productions are are kind of a little uh, lax with the respect, I guess. Yes. But it's it's something that is a part a part of human the human condition i guess and that's Mm -hmm. it's something that can really bring out um some strong titles and strong movies i I guess and what we're doing with this episode is we're kind of going chronologically through setting um we've picked uh six movies that all kind of depict a different type of of war and uh we're just kind of going to go through them and Discuss them. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, Tiny, do you want to bring up the first one? Yes. Uh, the first one is 1995's Braveheart. Um, I, I chose this one because I, I chose some, some different kinds of war movies. Not different kinds, but like war movies that fit into certain subgenres of war, I guess. Or, mm-hmm. you know, a particular war happens for a particular reason. Uh, sometimes there's no reason. Sometimes there's a really good reason. Sometimes there's a bad reason. Um, and the reason why I think a lot of people like Braveheart is because, uh, the reason for the war, why these men kill each other in this movie is it's to fight oppression and to fight tyranny. And, you know, it, it's, it's about, it's about freedom. Um, unfortunately, 90% of the movie is fiction. Right. It's very, very, very loosely based on an actual event. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about the, the the Scots War, the Anglo-Scots War. I don't know if that's what it's called, but um, it's you know Scotland fought for its own freedom from the English for centuries, and uh, this is about the most famous anecdote from those wars. Uh, a guy named William Wallace, who's played mm-hmm. by Mel Gibson in the movie, um, he's about ten, twelve years too old to play William Wallace in this movie. <laughs> but uh, one of the stories is that the all the various studios that uh, Mel Gibson and then the writer uh, tried to uh, take this to. None of them would um, finance it unless Mel Gibson played the main role because he was a really? huge star at the time. You know, Mel Gibson was right. the pinnacle of, of of a movie star in 1995, and he just wanted to direct. Mm-hmm. But all and he wanted he actually wanted uh, Jason Patrick to play really William Wallace yeah wow that's interesting I mm-hmm. didn't know that who I think would have been an interesting choice oh yeah I mean he's um, fantastic anyway he is good so um, but yeah no, all the studios cool. were like well, why won't why don't you want to play the lead character and he's like, well, this, <laughs> I want to try directing and this is my own thing uh, something anti-Semitic and so he <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he finally caved and decided to play William Wallace he figured he could do both. Um, and thankfully, it didn't hurt the movie very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was a pretty solid William Wallace. His Scottish accent was passable, at least to an American audience. Um, but yeah, the, the movie's about this. It's just about these, this entire nation of people. It's about, uh, they have their own culture and their own lands and their own way of life. And there's someone trying to take that away from them and subjugate them. And this is about a common guy. Even in the context of Scotland at the time, you had 
um, Highland Highlanders and Lowlanders, and uh, he was a Lowlander. Um, mm-hmm. I it recently found out I didn't know this, but actually, uh, William Wallace's dad was a like a sub sub nobleman sort of. Really? I guess he kind of had some land. He was technically part of the the noble class, but that wasn't really very well respected throughout England or anything. Um, it was it was a recognized thing in Scotland, but he wasn't he wasn't really uh he didn't seem like a noble guy. Apparently, there's very little information on William Wallace, but mm-hmm. um, his dad was a noble. But still, he was this common guy from the lowlands who brought the entire nation of Scotland together to fight the most oppressive and powerful country in the world at the time, and he was successful. Huh. Um, so that's kind of why I think people latch onto this is it has mm-hmm. that underdog feel to it, right? Um, and you recently, you, when was the last time you watched this before the other day when you watched it? Uh, probably three, four or five years. Okay. Does it, does it hold up? Because I, I saw it once, like when we were teenagers and mm-hmm. I, I haven't really gotten a chance to revisit it. You know, I think it does. I really think nice. it does. Um, one, another fun fact about the movie is a lot of it was filmed in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, and they used the, they used, a lot of the extras were members of the, Irish Territorial Army, which is kind of like the National Guard here. Okay. Um, and they, apparently the different um, groups, or I don't know what you call them, the battalions or something mm-hmm. of the Irish Army are very, very competitive with one another. Really? And so, you know, you put those guys on two sides of a battlefield and ask them to act out. Like, a lot of the <laughs> right. scenes that were on the cutting room floor were really brutal of these guys going at each other. Wow. Um, no one got killed, but I think some people got right. pretty seriously injured from from just going at it in this movie. Um, and I think that authenticity really comes across on the screen. Really? Um, they had to scale back a lot of the... They had to edit, edit out and scale back a lot of the violence in the movie because mm-hmm. they were afraid it was going to get like an a, a NC-17 rating. Wow. So, uh, wow. yeah, that's just one of the parts, an, another part of the movie that makes it so much fun for a lot of people is that it's... You can just feel the... You can feel the intensity of the movie. It, it feels intense and you can... It feels like you're there. Um, this is the only, this is the only movie on this, the list, the ones we're going to talk about that does not feature firearms of any kind. This is, oh wow, this is ancient, you know, swords, axes, hammers, fists and bone kind of fighting. This is like, this is a terrifying kind of battle. You know, imagine (laughs) yourself on this kind of field. Um, Wow. I think that's another thing that people think about with this movie is it's so intense and amazing and Mm -hmm. inspirational. But these dudes are just swinging swords around. There's no bullets flying or anything. There's no cannons. It's just archery and swords. Wow, I'm gonna have to uh, revisit this, revisit yeah. this movie. And yeah, wow, I I hadn't for some for whatever reason I hadn't really considered that, and I didn't know that about them uh, casting those those extras for, for mm-hmm. the battle scenes. That's really interesting. Yep. And of course, a lot of the people in the movie are not Scottish. <laughs> right. It's kind of funny. Um, and I guess, uh, actual Scotsmen, um, Scots do not appreciate the movie because it takes so many creative liberties. Oh, yeah. Uh, for example, the character of Robert the Bruce is pretty much, is a hero who's pretty much on the same level as William Wallace. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this movie, spoiler alert, it, the movie's 20 years old. Right, right. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, Robert the Bruce betrays William Wallace in the movie mm-hmm. and has him he he has him captured by uh the scottish nobles and sent off or i think it's no he uh he sells out he sells out to the english and 
it's that's historically inaccurate. Huh. Um, the Robert Robert the Bruce did not do that. That's so. quite an artistic liberty to take. It is. Yeah. Wow. Like he, he's a huge hero in mm-hmm. in Scotland, and they kind of tarnished his tarnished his reputation in this movie, which is unfortunate. So that is unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> and the the princess that's in the movie was not even part of this story. She was like a toddler <laughs> when this was going on. Wow. Yet it's said in the movie that she slept with William Wallace and he gets her pregnant and <laughs> and that kid is going to be the future king of England, <laughs> which is kind of a cool thing in the movie, but right. never actually happened. Well, William Wallace has to get his... So... Yes. Yeah, so that's Braveheart. It's uh, a good movie. Yeah, nice. I'll have to check it out. Do you own it? I do. I have it on DVD, ironically. Oh, nice. It, it, it's a g- great movie for Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful... Beautiful shots of the Scottish Highlands. Um, Ireland is a beautiful place as well. And uh, again, amazing battle scenes nice. uh, that they captured for this movie. I am going to have to check that out again. Totes. Because uh, I haven't seen it in a long time. So moving right along, we're going to go ahead to another Mel Gibson movie. And it's it's funny. We, there's so much talk about uh, with you talking about Braveheart and how uh, he kind of fought to to make it and he really wanted to direct it and everything this next movie is from roland emmerich um (laughs) (laughs) and dare i say it is his most passable movie um it's the patriot wait what do you what would you say is i don't know well independence day independence day is a lot yeah better movie i'd say it's his best movie yeah yeah i I will say that um so it's 2000's the patriot starring mel gibson it's it's really, really intense, and it's and it's uh, it's set during the Revolutionary War, mm-hmm. and it it's Mel Gibson plays plays a a farmer who kind of gets his son his son gets uh, taken or is, joins the the war effort, and he's kind of a he's kind of a pacifist, mm-hmm. and then something happens. I won't spoil it, but it involves the kid that was. Wow, why do I know this? Uh, he played Ephraim and Everwood. Um, <laughs> uh, something happens to him, and then this kind of sets uh, Mel Gibson on this this big revenge thing, uh, mm-hmm. this revenge arc, and it's kind of all set against the backdrop of the revolution Revolutionary War. And to something to keep in mind with this, and and I'm I'm going to be a little. Uh, it's it's kind of funny saying this after tiny after you talked about the the extras and and uh the battle scenes in Braveheart but something that is notable about the patriot is that it was one of one of the like early adopters or early early movies to really utilize uh uh surprise surprise roll Emmerich uh computer effects in mm-hmm. terms of creating uh CGI extras for the big scope battle sequences mm-hmm so you get, you get like fields. I like. I remember seeing like the HBO first look special, uh, um, behind the scenes special when this movie was about to go into theaters, and they were talking about how they modeled, um, extras out of computer generated images and filled out the field for the big uh, action scenes and like seeing the shots of it like that was very fascinating to me because I had never really considered or really known how that. <laughs> Like I, I didn't think that that could be possible at that time. I remember that. Yeah, and it was, it was just, you know, to see it now. I, I again, I, I haven't seen this movie in, in a little while, so I don't know how well the effects uh, measure up or, or uh, stand up or hold up. But it really kind of, uh, 
no pun intended, fleshed out the uh, the action and the the big set pieces throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And at its heart, it's it's a movie about a, a father who's who's you know defending his family, and and it's got a lot of like flashy like action scenes there's one sequence where he's like just ripping people apart with a hatchet yeah. in a wooded area that kind of sticks out to me but it's you know it, it's got its detractors it's also um i didn't look up the the historical events or, or the historical inaccuracies but it is one of the most historically inar- inaccurate inaccurate movies yeah it is <laughs> but as a movie depicting um action and and uh, a f- father and son journey um against the backdrop of of a historical event it's you know it's solid it's yeah. it's quite good and it's also got uh, jason isaacs as the as the i love antagonist. jason isaacs and he is phenomenal in this movie he's such a great actor he's he's menacing he's he's grimy like there's something about his performance and the way that he kind of he's like just just dirty in his corruptness and and his brutality it just there's maybe it's something with the 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 makeup effects or, or or something about the way that he delivers his lines is so just gruesome and and it really aids the characterization of of his character mm-hmm. and uh and the the final battle is, is really really interesting yeah i was yeah. hoping this movie would make jason isaacs a bigger star but he's just he's kind of yeah. he's kind of stuck in that like character actor kind of mm. thing. I mean, he was Lucius Malfoy in the the Harry Potter movies right. that that helped him out a lot. But still, I mean, he's still doing like like television and stuff. Yeah, uh, he was in that show Brotherhood. Brotherhood, yeah, which yes. was a great show. I still need to watch it. And had had three seasons, but he did a show on Fox. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! He have dreams or something? Oh god, I don't remember what it was called. But I, I don't even know if they finished the first full like twenty four episodes. I don't know if that. they did or not, but it's where he he plays a detective who. Oh, it was called Awake. Awake. And uh, basically, he plays a detective after his wife and son are killed in a car accident, where every time he goes to sleep, instead of like sleeping and dreaming, he just wakes up in an alternate world in an alternate like universe or whatever where his family survived. Mm -hmm. And so the whole show is kind of framed around his interactions with a psychologist or psychiatrist as he's describing these things. He has these little ribbons on his wrist that, Mm -hmm. that to differentiate which, which world he's in a totem, a totem. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, uh, and then, and then like it, I only saw a few episodes, but eventually it reaches a point where he's getting really sleep deprived and really like screwed up. It, it, the premise was interesting and it, and it yeah. had enough to, that it could have been an intriguing like event series, but I, I think it was, it existed in this world that was, uh, kind of in the aftermath of Lost and how networks were, really scrambling to find the next big serialized drama and they were mm-hmm. kind of just throwing throwing what they could out there and seeing yeah. what stuck instead of taking a more nuanced creative approach to their projects right so it had the misfortune of being picked up by a network channel yeah that by too a, by a network yeah and... it could have been an intriguing like show for like sci-fi or something that mm-hmm. could have maybe let it breathe a little bit let the premise breathe a little bit but yeah but anyway, yeah, The Patriot, uh, solid movie. I recommend it. And uh, I think it's just okay. I I'm not crazy about this. I don't know. Really? I don't know why. Um, 
I really can't put my finger on. I think it's just the the historical inaccuracies bother me more in this. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's just because it's an American movie because Braveheart's <laughs> even more historically inaccurate than this. Right. But maybe it's just because that's not America. <laughs> so right. I'm a, it's offending you. I'm a xenophobe, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I I'm just not as crazy about it. I think it's um it's one of those movies that sort of it's it's like. It's it's kind of like empty patriotism, I guess. Because in, yeah. in the in the final in the final battle, that's right. He's like it's like a Toby Keith song made into a movie. <laughs> it's he's he like he's like carrying a, a sword and the flag in the middle of the battlefield. That's right. It's like put dude, put the flag down. I bro. For, no, he. Uh, spoiler alert. It's been 15 years, but spoiler alert. Or he alert, kill, he, I think he I impales yeah. someone with, with the American flag. It, right. it is very hokey in that respect. And yeah. I, I, let me, let me clarify and say that I'm not saying that this is the best war movie ever. It okay. just stuck out to me when I was looking at my DVD collection, but I do stand by my recommendation of this movie because it's, I mean, it's Roland Emmerich. It's a very stylized blockbuster action movie. But I think that what separates it from other movies of its ilk, meaning like, like Roland Emmerich fodder mm-hmm. and, uh, and just blockbuster studio releases and, and tentpole releases like that mm-hmm. is that it actually has a really, a really, you know, a really well, well drawn, uh, family story at its heart. And it's also, yeah. it also features a, a, Pretty pretty good performance from uh, Heath Ledger. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and and like I said, very stylized and and solid. I, I recommend it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and then I'm I'm next too on the next one. Yep. Um, <laughs> a year after the Patriot uh, was released, uh, this movie came out. It's Enemy at the Gates, and I will defend this movie. I really really like it. I really like it too. It's a World War II movie set um, in the during the Battle of Stalingrad. Uh, yes, during yes. Stalingrad. And its its focus is uh, Ray Fiennes plays a no wait Jude Law plays Jude Law plays a sniper. Yeah, uh, aided by Ray Fiennes, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and he the whole movie is kind of his his battle with uh, Ed Harris, an, an opposing sniper, a, a German sniper, German sniper. Wow, <laughs> uh, German sniper. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I I picked this movie because I wanted to pick a World War Two movie, and we've talked ad nauseum about Saving Private Ryan. It is probably one of, if not the best World War Two movies in my book. Um, that I've seen at least, and it's it's very treasured to me. And we've talked about it in, in vault movies and vault movie episodes. So I wanted wanted to go ahead and pick a movie that I feel like Enemy at the Gates is slightly underrated, or it doesn't get the the appreciation that I, I feel like it deserves because it's a very it it's a very well done movie. It kind of follows the the filmmaking like like palette of of Saving Private Ryan and in the World War II movies that came out in that era because I mean Saving Private Ryan kind of revolutionized war filmmaking for World War II movies I guess and there was mm-hmm. a whole big surge of them afterwards. Yeah. But Enemy at the Gates is this maybe it, and this is going to sound like I don't know how this will sound but I I kind of have an affinity for depictions of snipers i i I love sniping stuff it's it's really engrossing and it's very tense and it's just it's it's an aspect of warfare that i feel like is uh 
given a, a kind of a kind of a Hollywood kind of popcorn kind of thing. It's kind of it's kind of uh, sensationalized. That's uh-huh. what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. It's sensationalized, and Enemy at the Gates kind of takes that and doesn't sensationalize it. It kind of gives this this strong story about these opposing snipers and the this game of cat and mouse that they're playing throughout throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also, Rachel Weiss, isn't it? Yes. Also, Bob uh, Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins and uh, um, Super Mario. Ron Perlman. And Ron Ron Perlman. That was the first the probably the first movie I ever saw him in. Oh really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just really really tense and really incredible movie. I like it too. Um, yeah. Also, I think one of the things that bothers me as I'm watch as I'm watching it, I'm like, God, oh, this is cool. I love the I love the palette. To use mm-hmm. your word, the palette of it. It's just it's very appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it, I'm always taken out a little bit by the fact that there's a bunch of English actors using English accents to play a bunch of Russians. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. like Jude Law's character That's is true. like this like blue collar rural kid from the Ural Mountains mm-hmm. uh, who just he's basically a farm boy who gets off a train like this is like a, a legit russian dude like <laughs> you know this is a a hard soviet guy and it's like he, it's like pretty boy jude laws playing him with his, his <laughs> nice little posh british accent same thing with rachel vice and, and you know bob Hos- bob hoskins is playing mm-hmm. nikita khrushchev uh who That's you know right. it's like it's it's just, I, I don't hate it mm-hmm. uh but it's every time i watch it it bothers me um even uh Ed Harris, his attempt at a slight <laughs> German accent is just awful. Um, and I believe he is a, uh, Ed Harris's character is, is an inaccuracy. I don't think Vasily Saitsev actually had like a, a, a battle that lasted months with I don't actual, think so either. You know, he, he's famous. Vasily Saitsev is an actual guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he killed, I, I believe dozens of German officers mm-hmm. uh, and had like a hundred confirmed kills or something as a sniper, which is just unbelievable. Um, Cause sniping was still a, uh, a, a, a form of warfare that was trying to find its ground in this kind of, in, in world war two, no one really knew how to use sniping really. It right. Just, it was still a new thing. It was, it started in world war one, but that was just a, a horrible war to try to snipe. Right. Anyone. Um, but it's, it's interesting how it all plays out. I think you kind of need that connecting story throughout a movie like this. I don't think it does a disservice to Vasily Saitsev as a person. Yeah, me neither. Um, I, I think it's. I think it was a good, a, a good match. Um, it's kind of interesting that, uh, kind of a, here like fourteen years after this movie, uh, <laughs> American Sniper would kind of catch the same kind of right. flack because they manufactured a, a supervillain for yeah um, Chris Kyle. Right. In that movie. Yeah. But um, I mean, the, the movie just has some and uh, just amazing scenes. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the earlier scenes in the movie is where uh, Vasily Zaitsev and uh, Ray Fiennes, or uh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, uh, what's his name? Not not Ray, Ray Fiennes, uh, his brother. Oh, Joseph. Oh. Joseph Fiennes. Oh, yeah. Crap. Joe Fiennes. Yeah, the younger brother, I believe. Sure. I don't know. The less talented brother. Um, <laughs> the Stephen Baldwin of the Fiennes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, uh, maybe Daniel Baldwin. Uh-huh. Uh, he's pre- they're pretending to be dead in this this fountain in the middle of Stalingrad as the German army yes. is marching past them, and then they pick up a rifle and try to take out 
uh, some German a German officer who's like trying to take a shower. It's like it is such an intense and well shot scene. Mm-hmm. That's like it's it's just a fantastic scene. It's uh, I think it was recreated in, in one of the uh, Call of Duty video games. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember which World one. of War. World of War. Yeah, which was probably my last favorite uh, Call of Duty game. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a great movie. I I love it. Ironically, the uh, the rifle that he uses, um, a Mosin Nagant. I actually have one. Oh, nice. Um, it was made in 1937 in uh, in Russia. They are uh, historically uh, notoriously inaccurate rifles, <laughs> <laughs> and he's using it for sniping. It's kind of funny. Wow! Um, Did the real Vasily Zaitsev use one? Yeah, you know? yeah. The really? rifle, the rifles in a in a museum in Moscow, I believe. Wow! Or Stalin, That's right. Yeah, in Stalingrad, which isn't called Stalingrad <laughs> anymore. Right? Is it Petrograd? Is that what it's called now? Uh, sure. You don't know. I don't, I have no idea. I should know. Yeah. I don't know, but anyways, it's in a yeah. museum somewhere. Cool. Interesting. Yep. Well, that's Enemy at the Gates. Um, that's I, again. I recommend it. I recommend it a hell of a lot more than the Patriot, and I recommend the Patriot. So that should be a good, <laughs> yeah, a good barometer for my enjoyment of Enemy at the Gates. Mm-hmm. Although I will say that the kind of love triangle that plays out throughout the movie uh, kind of lessened it a little bit for me. Yeah, could have uh, done between, without it. Yeah, Joe Fiennes and Rachel Weisz and uh, uh, Jude Law's character. But it is. It is at least. It is at least integral to the plot like it it drives the plot so i can't fault it for that it just felt a little like a little bit out of place but it does it does have a a stake in in the the goings-ons of the movie i I think the more interesting story would have been the uh joseph finds is like a his character is like a a a propaganda officer or something he's in charge of printing propaganda in in support of the red army and Mm. you know the 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 Bolshevik class, essentially, and he he has a falling out with with Vasily Zaitsev, and it's over the girl, and he mm-hmm. tries to tarnish his reputation through that propaganda. I think it would have been a little more interesting just to kind of follow that. Yeah, um, it, that that's a good thing that this movie does is it shows that while the Red Army is not, and, and the 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 Soviets were not good people, they were the lesser of two evils because <laughs> right. it really shows how flawed and and terrible the red army was um and because there's a part where the 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 troops are trying to retreat and they Mm -hmm. just fire on them and kill their own men because they're trying to retreat um there's the famous i want to say it's order 66 that stalin gives which he essentially he essentially drafts every single russian citizen including women children and elderly and they're essentially uh he, he made it to where people could not evacuate war zones they had to stay where they were um and so millions and millions of russians died because stalin wouldn't allow them to evacuate uh cities like stalingrad and like um uh st petersburg i can't remember what it was called was that uh Leningrad. It was called Leningrad, oh, yeah. Leningrad at yeah. the time. St. Petersburg now. Um, that's another famous story from mm-hmm. World War One. Is the that's one of the that was the longest battle of World War One was Leningrad. It was like seven hundred days long or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that's it shows that stuff in the movie, and that's I think that was a good choice because it is some historical accuracy, and it's I I enjoyed that part of the movie, and I think it would have been more more fun to focus on that instead of having that love triangle. Absolutely, I agree. 
And uh, just, I don't know what what it what it's called, what you were referring to, mm-hmm. but it's not Order sixty six. Order sixty six is actually from uh, uh, Star Wars Episode three. It's not. No, Order sixty six is the or the the order that you know that caused oh, the, yeah, that caused the clone the, armies to turn on the Jedi. Army, yeah, I thought that was I thought that was based on Stalin though. It might be, but I typed in Order sixty six, and all only uh, Star Wars stuff came up. So it could be. I don't know. I don't know. Listeners, Google it and let us know. Please. Yes. I'm going to Google it afterwards. Okay, nice. I'm probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, I, I kind of, like, no offense to you, but I would love it if it was just <laughs> Star Wars. But anyway. Uh, that would be pretty funny. It would be funny. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't know. That tickled me. Yes. Um. Yeah. So do you want to, do you want to take the reins on the next one? Yes. The next one is uh, 1986's Platoon. Uh. This is a Vietnam movie. That's the first one on the list, only one on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, of which there are many Vietnam movies. Um, oh yeah, you could say Forrest Gump is a Vietnam movie. Yeah, um, there's a movie that came out within like six months of this. Uh, Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. Vietnam oh movie. yeah. Um. Yeah, that was a. That was one. the same. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Same year. And it's also the first of a unofficial Vietnam trilogy from Oliver Stone. Uh, this is the first one. Born on the Fourth of July is the second. I don't recall what the third one is called. Uh, it's it was far less famous than the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, yeah. um, We Were Soldiers is another Vietnam movie. That's another one. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one is not based on an actual event that took place. Uh, it's it's sort of like the Patriot in that respect. Um, it's this is based on some some an amalgamation of experiences that Oliver Stone had as an infantryman in the in the army when he was when he was in Vietnam. Hmm. Um I think that's one of the reasons why I like this movie is because um it was really hard for Oliver Stone to make it, but he knew that he had to. I think he wrote he started working on the script for this movie like as soon as he got back from Vietnam, like in the really sixties or seventies. Wow. And he just he fought for years to get it made and finally got got the financing in the eighties. Uh, I think he tried he, he got financing a few times and it fell through. Hmm. Um but he finally got it made in the eighties. Um and so I think something that's a passion project like that and you know, the creator works so hard to get it made, it typically turns out to be something pretty good. Right. Um and I think this is a pretty good movie. Uh, Charlie Sheen, I think, is a little miscast, maybe. Uh, his character, uh, Chris, I don't remember his last name. Uh, he's, maybe he's good for it. Maybe Charlie Sheen's good for this role or not. I'm not sure. But, he, you know, he's he's sort of a uh, a middle-class kid who really did not need to join. You know, he, he he's, he's a guy who, he volunteers to join the military and go fight in Vietnam. Whereas Vietnam was very famous for the draft, um, because there were tens of thousands of men who did not want to be there. They had, uh, jobs and education and family back in the United States. They wanted to be, you know, finishing up or, or, or living, but mm-hmm. they had to go fight in a pointless war in Vietnam. What right. many would call a pointless war in Vietnam. Um, and I think this movie sort of, explores those social roles those socioeconomic slots that we put people in and and this 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 war was really a war of poor people you know it was mainly a lot of poor people got drafted people who didn't have jobs or uh people who didn't have anything better to do 
or didn't have any other option than to join the military and go fight in Vietnam. Uh, and a lot of them died for it. I believe uh, 60,000 people, 60,000 military members from the United States died in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, so the main character, Charlie Sheen, is kind of a, kind of a fish out of water in that respect. So maybe Charlie Sheen was kind of a good casting choice, but I've just never been a big fan of his. Um, I think he's kind of good when he's doing comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the... Gosh, what were the... Hot par- Shots? Hot Shots. <laughs> those are funny movies. I like sure. those. Sure, yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm just not crazy about him in this. I don't think he's too bad. I know Oliver Stone kind of really wanted Johnny Depp to play that role, but he was only 22 at the time. That would have been interesting. Um, yeah, in the studio. He was unknown. The studio didn't want to back him for it. Mm-hmm. Um, he did get cast in a, a really small role in Platoon, but he's he only has like a handful of lines. Uh, he's, he's barely in it. So, um, But the movie is... It's it's really good because again it shows how the, the banality of the Vietnam War and how it it felt like it was an aimless war. These guys would just they would hike and they would mm-hmm. dig a hole and then they would go out on patrol with no real mission. Like 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 what are we really trying to do here other than just shoot Viet Cong? Right. And that's you really get that sense in this movie. Um. And it, it has this whole kind of subplot. It sort of takes over as a main plot where you have these two sergeants played by Willem Dafoe and Tom Berenger. And one of them is very gung-ho. You could kind of say he's borderline evil. Um, he He's just there. He, he's kind of on a death wish, just kind of leading his men aimlessly into this into these patrols at night. And not really caring what happens to anyone else. Um, that's Tom Berenger's character. And then you have, uh, you know, uh, Willem Dafoe's character just trying to kind of get everyone through this war. He's just kind of a, what I think is a true military man. He cares about the men he's with. He mm-hmm. tries not to, he, he's like, you know, a successful mission is one where he brings everyone back alive. That's the kind of guy he is. You, you hear that a lot in these kinds of movies. Right. Um, and, and that's the kind of guy that Willem Dafoe is. Uh, it was also very famously uh, kind of a flip of the casting because Tom Berenger is sort of a heroic guy normally. Mm-hmm. He kind of plays heroes throughout the movies he was known for in the 80s. But in this, he's basically a villain. <laughs> and then Willem Dafoe, who's almost always a villain, <laughs> right? Uh, plays the good guy. He plays the kind of hippie pacifist sort of guy. Hmm. Um I really like him when they when they play with those those kind of typecasts. And yeah, flip them flip them around. Right, and you know it really worked in this movie. I'm kind of stealing from the the trivia from IMDb for this, but it really worked oh, because because <laughs> uh, both men got nominated for Oscars for this. So nice. Um, it worked in that respect, and I I think it really did. I think they both they both earned those nominations. Um, nice. Uh, another great thing about the movie is that it, it was not afraid to explore the the issues with the political side of this war. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this was a hugely political war because, you know, some of the, there was a, you know, like a lot of, a lot of like right wing stand people who were like, you know, this is, we're America, we're the best country in the world, we have to stomp out evil wherever it is. Right. But then there were other people who were like, we're not really achieving anything here. We're not right. really, you know, this isn't really helping anything. This isn't helping our image around the world. We're not helping the South Vietnamese here. Um, this is a, a stalemate of a war. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it explores that in, through this movie, through the, the military members of this movie. <laughs> um, and it just explores all the corruption. There's a, 
there's a famous scene where um, Charlie Sheen's character stops the rape of a uh, Vietnamese villager. Mm -hmm. And that's based on uh, an actual life event that happened to uh, Oliver Stone when he was in Vietnam. Vietnam. He he stopped the assault of a Vietnamese villager when wow. he was yeah when he was in the army in, in Vietnam. Um, hmm. And so stuff like that adds a ton of authenticity to this kind of movie, right? Um, and it's like I said, it just comes it just comes through on the screen, and you can mm -hmm. really feel it. Um, great cast in this movie, mm -hmm. um, with the exception of Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Not a big fan of his. Yeah, um, well, Tiger Blood. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag winning. Old reference is old. <laughs> yeah, really. So, um, um, you've seen this before, right, Matt? I have, but it's been a, a long time. Like, I keep kind of looking over my DVD collection because I know that I own it, but I can't find it because I haven't had a chance to organize my DVDs. Mm -hmm. But like, when you leave, I kind of want to watch it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I remember. I'm, I I don't remember much of it when I did see it, but. Um, I do remember liking it quite a bit and I'll, I'll mm -hmm. have to reserve judgment, but, um, to answer your, your question before, uh, the movie heaven and earth from 1993, it was, uh, the third movie in Oliver Stone's Vietnam trilogy. Okay. Um, according to IMDb, uh, it follows this true story of a Vietnamese village girl who so survives a life of suffering and hardship during the, uh, during and after the Vietnam war. As a freedom fighter, a hustler, a young mother, a sometime prostitute, and the wife of a U.S. Marine, the girl's relationships with men suggests an analogy of Vietnam as woman and the U.S. as man. Huh. So that's cool. You, yeah. Did you ever see that? It Never only got. Never saw that one. I mean, it's its user rating on IMDb is six point eight. So yeah, um, I don't think it was a very successful movie. Either. Right. Whereas Born on the Fourth of July was was a successful movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. Heaven and Earth was was released uh, on Christmas Day, so it was okay. apparently uh, a run for for the Oscars. But okay, I mean it, it. I've I've never really heard of it. So yeah, I never heard of it until I started looking at this for this episode. Right. So yeah. Yeah. So you don't really remember the movie very much. I I don't, and I wish I wish I did. I wish I had more to talk about it, but. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it is. It's a movie that I will have to revisit and uh, circle back on. This is the only one I didn't get to watch um, from oh. this. Well, the, of the three I picked, this is the only one I didn't get to watch. Uh, I wish oh. I would have. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, it has one. Of, it has a, a really fame, a really favorite line of mine. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Johnny Drama's in this movie. Um, <laughs> God. Gosh, what's his name? Um, I can't oh, even think of his name. It's Dylan, Matt, not not Kevin oh, Dylan. Kevin Dylan. Kev, is it Kevin Dylan? Is it Kevin? It might be Kevin. Sure. Something Dylan. Johnny Drama. Johnny Drama. <laughs> Anyways, he's in this movie, and he's <laughs> he's a real one of those kind of right wing gung ho. He's an antagonist essentially. It is Kevin Dylan. Kevin Dylan. Okay. Um, he says a line. Uh, pardon my French, but he says, uh, "There's nothing better than a piece of pussy, except maybe for the Indy 500." Um, wow. Which I'm like, I'm from Indy. Yeah. I love the Indy 500. That's a messed up line, but. Nice. Yeah, so I don't know. That always stuck out to me. The first time I saw this, I was like, hey. <laughs> nice. Well, well said. I, I, like I said, I wish I had more to say about Platoon, but you mm -hmm. covered it very well. Okay. Uh, do you want to bring us into the next one? Absolutely. Uh, the next one is uh, Black Hawk Down from 2001. Uh, this was directed by Ridley Scott. Um, this was 
th- this movie kind of demonstrates uh, why it's a good idea for the Department of Defense to like participate in films because <laughs> they chose to do so in this movie and they actually provided the production with Black Hawk helicopters and pilots and I think some army rangers to do some stunt stuff. Um, it's, it, that really comes across on the screen, but this movie is one of those military movies that it's, it's pretty much, it's widely accepted that this movie actually caused a boost in recruiting for the military. Um, another example is Top Gun, which was a hugely popular movie in the, the eighties where, you know, the, the, after it came out, enlistment for the air force increased by like 20% or something crazy like hmm. that, uh, which is another movie that the DOD actually participated in. Um, so, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that about either, yeah. either of them. Yeah. When they, I think when they started filming, um, there, they were still, you know, negotiating with the department of defense to get equipment and stuff like that to, to have them participate in the movie. And, uh, really Scott had a bunch of, um, Huey helicopters from huh. like German, but it's like a German helicopter, okay. like on standby to be painted black to be used as Black Hawk helicopters. Huh. Uh, but they eventually got it secured and probably. that's cool. So yeah, um, but this this movie is is interesting because it it depicts a a very unsuccessful military um, campaign, mm-hmm. and this isn't really so much this isn't really a war um it's kind of a skirmish really or it's right i think you know originally uh we sent clinton sent troops to mogadishu as peacekeeping troops um and it worked for a little while but then later on everything just went to hell again and he sent in all the the army specialists uh rangers and and delta and um the helicopter uh, units and stuff. For, forgive me, I don't I don't know my military terminology very well. Right. Um, I don't know how it all breaks down. That's not something I'm really familiar with. But mm-hmm. um, he sent all of, like you know, geez, like a hundred thousand troops or something like that. I don't know how many it was, but um, that's when it sort of turned into kind of a war. But it's 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 more just like a, a military. You know, war was never declared by Congress. Mm-hmm. This was just you know Clinton using executive power to 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 deal with a situation in Somalia. Um, and this, this is a very famous, one of the most famous and largest blunders in American military history. It really demonstrates how, how important it is to not underestimate your enemy. Um, because mm-hmm. before they go out, yeah, yeah, before they go out on this mission, there's the really Scott and the, the, the screenwriter and everyone was very clever because, they keep. They had all the characters uh, demonstrating how, um, you know, you don't even worry about taking water with you. Don't even fill your canteen. Right. Take out the the back plate of your armor. Uh, you know, the the armor that's in your back, your bulletproof vest, essentially. Just take the back plate out. It's like twelve more pounds. You you're already carrying fifty pounds of gear. Leave it out. Um, and you know, they're like, don't you know, just just take extra ammo in case. Um, take extra ammo instead of carrying all that extra you know, water and armor. Um, it's, it, they're very nonchalant about it. And they're talking about how, you know, skinnies can't shoot for shit, traditionally <laughs> speaking. And meanwhile, you know, as it turns out, 20 men were killed, uh, mm-hmm. 20 men were killed and countless others wounded, um, in this, this military, uh, campaign. Um, so it's, it, it kind of demonstrates the arrogance of, 
of a large military like this. That's that's kind of what the United States has been dealing with since I would say since Korea. Um, mm-hmm. Um, which is, uh, there's a famous line in Platoon where, um, <laughs> I hate, I hate to dwell, but, uh, there's a famous line from, um, Willem Dafoe's character where he says, we've been kicking people's asses since, you know, World War II or something like that. I can't remember exactly what he says, but we've been kicking people's asses for so long, we're due for a loss or something like that. Mm. I can't remember what he says. Um, but you know, from, from Vietnam to all the banana wars in the eighties and the, um, Black Hawk Down in the early 90s to the Gulf War and to the two wars that we're in now, it's it's really not been successful, militarily right. speaking. Um, we haven't achieved very much. And, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to take anything away from anyone who was in the military. Right, right. That's it was not their fault. Of course it's, not. It's policy blunders. It's not military blunders. Right. Um, but this, this movie was not afraid to address that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a brave thing to do. Um, and it does it in a way that still paints the military in a very bright light. Um, and the way they do that is they have these characters that are really, it, it's amazing how many deep characters they achieve in this movie. Um, it is a long movie. I think it's like two hours, 45 minutes. Problem. I think so. Yeah. But the, the book that it was, that it's based on had, had like almost a hundred characters in it, you know, a hundred wow. different service members they talk about mm-hmm. and they're all condensed down into like 30 characters in this right. movie. Um, and that was obviously that was a good choice because, you know, you, you're talking about an, an 18 hour long excursion that's packed down to less than three hours. Mm-hmm. You have to do that. But the characters that were created in this, uh, in this movie were very rich and very deep and, and, um, they had a lot of integrity. Yeah. And that's demonstrated in the movie because, you know, they have this, this sentiment of we leave no man behind. And one of the more famous characters is Eric Bana's character, mm-hmm. um, who is kind of a very classic, strong, silent type. Right. Um, born to be a soldier and just does. He, he has famous lines in this movie where he says, people will never understand that it's about the guy who's right next to you. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's all it is. That's all that matters. And that's that's a sentiment that people can really connect to in this movie. That's why I love this movie because it yeah. just while they do while they take part in a very unsuccessful mission, they do so incredibly gracefully, and they do it. I don't know if graceful is the right word, um, but they do it with so much integrity and so much uh, brotherhood, mm-hmm. and they just care about each other. It's it demonstrates why it's so why it's so important and so so brave to right. be a soldier you're just you're fighting for the guy right next to you that's all that that's all that matters um and that's something i've never really experienced right but i feel like i have when i watch this movie right you know you just you connect with these characters so strongly um and that's what this movie is so successful at doing mm-hmm. and i think that's why people love it uh George W. Bush says it's his favorite movie, <laughs> um, which, yeah, take that as you will. Right, right. Uh, I think it's a solid choice. Mm-hmm. Um, also, this movie has a ridiculous cast. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, it's everyone and their mother is in this movie. Yes, literally. Uh, second appearance of Jason Isaacs. Oh, yeah. Who I love in this movie. Mm. Um, Eric Bana. Um, uh, Josh Hartnett. Josh Hartnett. Uh, Ewan McGregor. 
Thomas Guyry. Um, William Fickner, one William of my Fickner. favorite uh, character actors. Yep. Uh, Kim Coates from Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Shep- him from Carpool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam Shepard. Um, oh, yeah. Glenn Morshower, Jelsko Ivanek. Mm-hmm. Um, I know him from 24 and Glenn Morshower. <laughs> this is actually uh, Tom Hardy's first movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yep. So this yeah. there's just... Uh, uh, it's it's ridiculous of actors in this. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and kind of the standout to me uh, with Black Hawk Down is the way that Ridley Scott really conveyed the the scale of the of the battle of, yes. of everything. I mean, there were shots where it's like kind of the dead of night, and like you see it lit up from all the like flares and and, yeah. and the like just the way that it's filmed. Like you can tell, like you know, you know. You have the perspective of, of, or you have the knowledge of where key characters are in this, in this environment. Mm-hmm. And then to see it, to see how they're kind of, to see the position that they're in with, with, uh, with people kind of surrounding them and everything and these, these big, these big, uh, wide angle, like shots of the entire environment is just really, really gripping is the only real world word I can think of for it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's something that I, I really appreciate in Ridley Scott's filmmaking in this, in this movie is the way that he can not only manage so many different, uh, different characters and different situations, uh-huh. but to put them all into key points in this same space and then show just how dire of a situation is and be able to convey that in, in, in an authentic way and also quite stylishly because, or I don't know if stylish is the right, right word, but just the way the lighting is the, like the cinema, like the cinematographer needs to be, have a good shout out for this because yeah. the way that it's lit is just beautiful. It is. Um, in a very morbid sense of the term. Mm-hmm. Um, and God, how great was Tom Sizemore? Oh, he was fantastic. He, I, I hate drugs so much for ruining that guy. Right. Because he, like, <laughs> also for uh, other reasons. Other people yeah, too. Other people too. Not <laughs> just Tom Sizemore. <laughs> <laughs> but when I watch this movie, it's Tom Sizemore. Because uh, you know, between this and uh, um, Saving Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. he's he was a great actor. Oh yeah. Oh and yeah. And he he has not. He could. He did not recover from his no. from his addiction, and it's unfortunate because he really was is. great. And he, there's plenty of other examples of him being great in other movies too. Mm-hmm. So, this is just one of them. Yeah. yeah, yep. This is a great movie. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly recommend it. I need to I need to upgrade it for Blu-ray because, like I said, the visuals are astounding. Yeah. Um, Apparently, there's a really good. Um, on the, I think the special edition DVD and probably mm-hmm. the special edition Blu-ray, there is a documentary. I can't remember what it's called, but it's it's the making of Black Hawk Down, uh-huh. and I think it's it's actually longer than the movie itself. Really, and it's supposed to be really good and really interesting. Um, I I did not get a chance to watch it because, like I said, it's another three hours. Right. Um, I don't have that kind of time, but you know, listeners, if you own this, check that out for us, and you know. Drop us a line. Tell us if it's worth watching and how yeah. good it is. Um, I'm interested in it, definitely. Yeah. Again, I'm trying to find it on my DVD. I really need to organize this damn thing. <laughs> I mean, my yeah. God. I kind of, it kind of, looking into this movie, it, it made me want to read the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I think it sounds pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'll go ahead and round us out 
for this for this topic for this week's topic. Um, the movie I'm going to bring up is is more of a contemporary war movie set in the Iraq Iraq War. Uh-huh. Um, the Hurt Locker from 2008. Um, did it won Best Picture, yes. or did it just win Best Director? Oh, I don't recall. It, I, I don't really don't remember. Yeah. Anyway, it's a it's a prequel to the Avengers with Hawkeye and Falcon <laughs> um, diffusing bombs. Um, Jeremy Renner plays a bomb dif- diffusal expert. Uh, something ordnance disposal something. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. Something there's a, there's like a, there's a military acronym for it. Right. Right. But anyway, so so the movie centers on him and how he's kind of very. Uh, prone to taking the more risky avenues of bomb dis- di- disposal. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very anxious to get into the big bomb suit thing. Again, that's not the, that's not the, uh, not the proper terminology, not the proper terminology, <laughs> but and and it's kind of to the, it, it causes him to butt heads with his, with his, you know, his, Squad mates, I almost said coworkers, which technically, I mean, <laughs> technically, yeah, this is their job, yeah. But it's at the center of it. It's, it's him, and then his two, his two uh, uh, other specialists are uh, played by Anthony Mackie and Brian uh, Garrity. Yes. Which Brian Garrity, I, I really want him to have more of a presence and have more. Yeah. More roles, like he was the. I think he was like the co-pilot in flight. He was. Uh, he also played uh, a very, very good, good uh, turn in Boardwalk Empire as as uh, Agent yeah. Knox. He's a great character actor. He really is. Yeah. And uh, I'll also forgive him for his role in the movie ATM with Alice Eve, which <laughs> God, that movie was awful. <laughs> but anyway, the Hurt Locker is. Uh, it, it, it's. It's a great depiction for me of or it's a great example of a movie that takes its its setting, its its war war focused setting. And the thing that I latched onto about it was the characterization of Jeremy Renner's character in that I feel like it's his whole arc throughout the movie is how he is he has almost this compulsion to to kind of to kind of just get himself into the harm's way. It's like an adrenaline rush for him. And it's mm-hmm. not played up as a, as like, uh, he's, he's an adrenaline junkie. Sure. But it's not played up like he's, like he's, he's trying to get himself killed or anything like that. It's just, it's just the way he is. And it's, yeah. it, there's a really haunting sequence. The, the reason that I, that I put this in the, in the list here for this episode is that there's a haunting sequence toward the end where he's back stateside with his wife and he just, he can't, and his kid. And his kid. And he, yeah. he just can't adjust. And it's it's kind of I think it speaks just volumes about I don't know if this was Catherine Bigelow's um statement that she was willing that she was wanting to make, but my takeaway from it is it's it's a big, big like political statement on the on the state of 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 guys who or guys and gals who are in these are are in these wars and the the mental toll that it takes on them. And it's it's really it's really fascinating to me that you can have a two hour and I think it's like two hour and 11 minute movie um, that is all about this guy constantly putting himself in harm's way, constantly like almost getting himself killed and, and butting heads with his, with his squad mates and everything like that. And yet you have this moment where he is clearly 
in unable to adjust. It's like it's like one scene of him in like the grocery store with mm-hmm. Evangeline Lilly, and then it cuts to. I, I mean, I he's guess so uncomfortable is, in that. Scene. He's so uncomfortable, and then yeah. the closing shot of the of the movie. I won't say what it is, but just like it's. It's it just really ties the entire movie together for me into the statement of 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 a character that is unfortunately or or it's scary to think that this is the type of mentality that that people have in mm-hmm. terms of war and it's yeah. it's such a it, it's such a, a hard pill to swallow it's such a big mm-hmm. pill to swallow because it's it's not it's so against what my idea of humanity is right and it's presented in such a natural way and kind of just a kind of a okay yeah let's go and it's not and it's not played up for for dramatic effect or for any kind of like they could have played it in any other way like they could have had him they could have they could have had it end on a on a more dire note or a more shocking note or something that could have been played it for more Hollywood standards but still get the same message across but instead mm-hmm. they did this one thing and in this one shot just really just brought like I said just brought the entire movie together for me and they did that one thing perfectly I think yeah 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 this this movie demonstrate I keep saying that phrase this movie demonstrates right uh, it demonstrates the concept that the what the military does is it takes men and it takes humans and turns them into these machines. It turns them into this this one-track mind mm-hmm. kind of person, and, and, it, and it tells you that the greatest thing you can do is be a martyr, mm-hmm. and, and it tells you that what you're supposed to do is kill. And, you know, that's that concept is demonstrated really well in, in this movie. Uh, 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 Full Metal Jacket is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, just, you're just a machine, that's what the military does is it trains you to be a killing machine. But what it does not train you how to do is how to reintegrate back into society right. when you're done. And we have been seeing the effects of that for the last hundred years, arguably. Um, you know, war became absolutely just horrendously bad in mm-hmm. the beginning of the 20th century up to World War One. We saw how awful it is. And it's it was never a good thing, obviously, but... Um, with technology, war just became so awful that, you know, in World War One they called it shell shock. You mm-hmm. know, what we now know is post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Right. Um, and it's something that's, that's something that has existed throughout the 20th century, and we still don't know how to prevent it, and we don't know how to fully treat it. We can, you know, we can't cure it. Mm-hmm. We can help it, but we can't cure it. And And it's just really disturbing that that's that's kind of how it has to be in terms of war you know war's not going anywhere it's going to be around for the foreseeable future um and the only way to successfully do that is is to do it the way we've been doing it and and it's Mm -hmm. not it's not it's not healthy it's not psychologically healthy for the people that have to take part in it and that's just an unfortunate fact um and there's something that we all want to do something about it but you know i I just I don't think anyone really knows how to do that. Uh, right. And you know, this, this movie shines a light on that and it's really, it's really disturbing. Yeah. It's it, very disturbing and very tragic. It has a negative effect on your, on your opinion of what humankind is like right. to, to, to use your phrase. Yeah. yeah. It's very, it's, it's, it's very troubling. It's troubling, but it's 
really intense and well done. Yeah, and yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, and uh, I should mention that uh, the same, both Catherine Bigelow and the writer uh, Mark something. Mark Bull. Bull. Uh, they both reteamed for uh, Zero Dark Thirty, which mm-hmm. one of the main reasons why I couldn't really get attached to that movie is that it didn't, in uh, it, I mean, it, it had a centralized character, but I don't feel like the characterization was there the way that Jeremy Renner's character was was had depicted in the Hurt Locker. Not that yeah. I wanted the same thing, but I kind of wanted a more centralized, focused uh, character study of of something in, uh, about the effect of the manhunt for Bin Laden, and uh-huh. I, it, it didn't really connect for me that way because I had been so um, enamored with uh, the Hurt Locker uh-huh. in that regard. So it yeah. that's why it fell flat to me. I think that was a writing issue more than anything. Yeah. In in uh in Zero Dark Thirty. Right. Uh, but the Hurt Locker, Catherine Bigelow shot the hell out of this movie. Yeah. Oh I yeah. Mean, it just just the the intense uh bomb diffusing scenes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just Ed you sweat. Oh you yeah. You sweat while oh, you're watching yeah. them. You just can you can just feel it. Oh yeah. And um, the uh the opening the opening sequence with Guy Pierce is yes. just Oh my god! Haunting, haunting. It's like a freight train's coming through the screen. Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's like so I, I remember the one shot that's like it's, it's like the this the end of the sequence. Not to spoil it, but the end of the sequence ends with something with with uh, Guy Pierce facing us or facing the screen, and then something happens, and then it's just it sticks with me, and I think mm-hmm. it goes right into the the title from that. Yeah, it's just it's just shocking. Yep. Um. So yeah, so that's our discussion on war movies. Yep. Um, and if if the listeners noticed, we we did it in chronological order, <laughs> right? Based on the date of the event that the movie depicts, right? So, yep. That's um, Matt for you. Oh yeah, that's that's <laughs> how my mind works. Um, so yeah, if if you have uh, war movies that we didn't cover that you would like to let us know what your favorite war movies are, I, that sounds a little weird. Um, <laughs> favorite war movies but uh let us know just you know contact us you, you know where to find us find us in the show notes well um, would you say your favorite war movie saving private ryan saving private ryan it's mine because i think we've talked about it it's a vault movie yeah i believe yeah. you talked about it i think so yeah 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 it would it would definitely probably be my favorite war movie it's mine yeah. that is just the best it's, it's one of my favorite movies ever yeah uh, yeah it, it would be it's no contest it is it right. was one of those movies that in i think junior high i watched it like every day after mm-hmm. school Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which says, I don't know what that says about me, but <laughs> now that our main topic is out of the way, how yes. about we talk about some potpourri? Let's do it. Which is, if this is your first time listening, potpourri is our, the section of our podcast where we talk about whatever we want, as long as it smells good. Anything that we're watching, anything that we're interested in watching, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to kick us off because usually recently what I've been doing is kind of going by my different, uh, method of viewing and discussing what I've been watching on there. So I'm going to take this first round for potpourri and then Tiny's going to take another one and then I'm going to finish up with a third one. So for this one, I'm going to talk about physical media, physical media that I watched and also what I watched on Netflix. Uh, physical media. We recently did our Marvel Cinematic Universe retrospective and I didn't get a chance to rewatch uh, Thor The Dark World and our friend Fekus, who has been on the podcast many times before and will in the future be on the podcast, um, he like he's a defender of Thor, the Thor movies, and I, I he was gracious enough to loan me his copy of Thor: The Dark World, and I watched it. And you know, I I would say that we were a little too hard on it, 
Um, I really, I got maybe not a whole new appreciation for it, but I definitely did think that it was better than the original and that, um, you know, the comic relief wasn't as out of place as I remembered it. Hmm. And, uh, the story itself was, was solid. Uh, the, the main problem with it though is the villain. Um, the villain was just underdeveloped and it was just didn't quite cut it for me, but all in all it was, you know, it was solid. It was on its own. I wouldn't write a home about it, but in the, in the Marvel cinematic universe, there are worse movies. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also I'll, I'll go ahead and briefly touch on what I've been watching on Netflix and also Amazon really, really briefly. Um, Netflix, I think it was last week I talked about bloodline. I'd watched one episode Uh and, uh, I finished it. It's done. Wow. I watched all of it. Yeah. Nice. I, uh, I'm curious. Oh man. Oh, I, uh, I've, I, I wrote up a, a quick review on the website. I'll put the links link in the show notes, but my God, this show really? was, I was so, I was so impressed with it because like I said last week, it kind of the pilot episode or the first episode has this, has this event that, that kind of, it's like flash forwards of, of something that, that the series builds towards throughout the season. Mm-hmm. And it, that keeps occurring like with different, like the first four episodes kind of take the, take the perspective or, or take a, take a, take the perspective of, of certain characters in this family. Okay. And each, each one has little clips uh, um, of their part in what the climax of the season is essentially. Mm-hmm. So, but what I loved even more about that, like that, that really, really intrigued me. But what I loved even more is that after four episodes, that kind of, that kind of tease for the end kind of disappears for like a run of maybe three or four episodes. And then it mm-hmm. kind of comes back and it kind of, it kind of proved to me that this, the show and the dynamics and the drama that was unfolding with this family was saw was, was really strong enough to sustain itself without having this, this hook and it's it's like it's a slow show it's kind of slow to unfold everything but you kind of take a it doesn't really hold your hand with divulging the information of the family and the family history like the kind of okay. like i mentioned that that uh ben mendelson who blew my mind in this show nice. like he, his performance as this black sheep child of the family even though he he's the oldest son uh the black sheep of the family his performance as him is phenomenal and it was recently announced or at some point it was announced that he is going to be the main villain in star wars rogue one and nice. i can't wait to see it and um but yeah his performance is is astounding and it kind of the whole season kind of leads to a point where by the end of it i feel like they i feel like the entire first season as a complete piece set up like the dynamics of the entire series. Wow. Like it's, it's so interesting how the characters are bonded together. Like, uh, uh, like the way that their sibling sibling, the way that their, their siblingness <laughs> is depicted. Like they're, they're so strong together and, and they're, they're so strong apart. Like, like they have different arcs, uh, that are independent of each other, but they're so tied together by this family and by, by this, this event in, in the show uh-huh. that it's, it really has me interested in season two. Damn, I really want to see it now. It's, you have to. It's, it's nice. really good. Um, wow. yeah. And then also really briefly, I started watching Archer again. 
Hmm. Which uh, several months ago I started watching it and I got to, like to the first episode of season two and then I kind of dropped off and then uh, because I'm a completionist I went back the, recently and was like well I felt like I, I would watch it some more but I didn't want to start at season two so I started watching season one again mm-hmm. it's really really funny yeah um, kind of just irre- irreverent humor and it's it's really funny um, nice. And then finally, Amazon. Uh, I've been watching Star Trek. Uh, the reason I bring it up is that Star Trek is weird on Netflix because in season two, there uh, some of the episodes are the the video quality is different. Like it, like the frame the framing is off on like four episodes. Hmm. So the the benefit of having multiple streaming options is that it's all on Amazon Instant as well. So I just watch the episodes that aren't framed correctly on Netflix on Amazon and I have no problem. Oh cool. So that's interesting. So what do you got for Potpourri Tiny? Um I watched uh Little Little Giants. Finally. Yeah. For Finally the, for the first time. Can I should I ask this before the, before you go into your to your thoughts? The annexation of Puerto Rico Yes. Is it illegal in football terms? Not that I could tell. Interesting. Okay. I could not tell what was illegal about it. Interesting. Maybe that was just my brain as a kid. This is your brain on kids. Wait. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So what did you think of Little Giants, Tiny? Uh, it is a really cute movie. Um, Isn't it? I liked it a lot. I, I mean, I, I really liked uh, Ed O'Neill and Rick Moranis's, you know, back and forth. Mm-hmm. Their rivalry was... right. I mean that was great. I it was pretty well done for a kids movie. Yeah. You know, that translates pretty well to an adult audience. Um I w- if I had seen the movie as a kid and if I was into football as a kid, which I I really wasn't that much. Mm. Um I would have adored the movie without question. Yeah. Um but seeing it as an adult, you know, it's not something that I'm going to be like, "Oh, I really want to watch a little giant." It's probably not going <laughs> right. to stick with me that way. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it was just a really cute movie. Um I loved Icebox. She was right. she was such a fun character in the mm-hmm. movie. Um named uh named after the refrigerator. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We talked about it in the football movies episode and I didn't know what the hell you guys were talking about. <laughs> yeah, refrigerator Perry. Yeah, there you go. From the eighty five Bears. Sure. Yeah. Um yeah, it it was a cute movie. It mm. was fun. Um there was just some some wonderfully ridiculous things in it. Um <laughs> like the kid what's his name, Rex? Who who shows up like his his dad moves him to the town just to join the football team. Yes, um, yes. Spike. His name was Spike. 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 That was just so stupid, oh. but stupidly awesome. It's funny when I watched that as a kid. Like I knew the the dad of the of uh, Spike's dad was uh, uh, the guy that replaced uh, Thomas Hidden Church on Wings. Like that was my that was oh, how wow. I knew him. Oh my god. But, yeah. Yeah, and you know, just Spike doesn't play with girls. I. Yeah, I can't remember what he says. There were just some fun, fun tidbits, and there's some things that you know it's it's a kids movie, but mm-hmm. but they do it very well. You know, they kind of like they needed to show, they needed to demonstrate in a kids movie that sportsmanship sometimes takes takes uh, precedence over winning and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a part where Spike tries to take out another player, tries to injure the the quarterback right. Devin Sawa, and yeah. and his dad tells him to do it, and mm-hmm. then when the play is over. Ed O'Neill's character is like, you ever do that again? I'm gonna take yeah. your kid will never play for me. Again. Chomping on gum and like, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. And I really like that. I'm glad you pointed out that moment. I really yeah. like that moment. It felt so um, genuine. Yeah, and and well done, even yeah. for a kids' movie. Yeah. So, 
Um, I think my the way that I kind of latched onto it as a kid because I saw it as a kid and I, I adored this movie. Like yeah. this was the the this was my favorite movie as a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, the kind of the thing that latched onto me, and I'm kind of I don't know if you would have this this kind of thing to latch onto. I'm kind of curious how you how you'd feel about it. But um, is the brotherly connection between uh-huh. between Rick Moranis and Ed O'Neill like like because I was a kid and I had I had an older brother because mm-hmm. so I kind of I kind of latched onto that. And I think that the sibling, like you said, the, the kind of sibling rivalry and, and stuff, it's, it's, I really liked the way that it all played out. Like, mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought it was really touching. Like, you kind of, I kind of, I, I guess even at that age, I kind of felt a little bit for Rick Moranis' character. Cause you, like, at that point, I think I was starting to like feel like I was a little bit, uh, living in the shadow of my brother mm-hmm. who's three years older than me. Yeah, is still three years older than me. Will always be three years older than me. But um, <laughs> he uh, so so I kind of latched onto that in terms of uh, character the characters in the in the movie, and I kind of I I really enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah, that's what I like too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. And the water tower at the end. Yeah. Oh, pretty cheesy. Such a good feel feel good movie. Yeah. To talk about on our war movies episode. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah. So is that all you got for preparation? Right? Yeah. All right. Well, I'll close this out with some quick, uh, quick little things. Uh, for this for this section, I'm going to talk about uh, alternate streaming options and digital rentals. Bear with me. Um, <laughs> so, I uh, on Hulu Plus. I okay. I had a four day weekend. Nice. And oh my god, it was fantastic. I loved it. <laughs> so. I watched a bunch of stuff and one of the things I watched was this show on Hulu Plus. It's a Hulu Plus original called Resident Advisors. And, you know, I, the, my only way of knowing about this show is from ads on Hulu Plus. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, it's a college comedy about resident advisors in a dorm and it's kind of, you know, it's okay. That could it's, be good. It, you know, it could be. And it, be. it never ever, Really, I didn't like it. I'll I'll go ahead and say that I didn't like it. Um, it took some some of the humor took turns that was very expected, but then also unexpected because they had certain certain openings for like really good humor, but it just it they just it was like they don't know how to write comedy <laughs> because they kind of leave they leave like setups kind of dangling on these weak, weak punchlines when I could sit there and say like, wait, he could, sh- he should have said that. And it would have been a lot funnier. Yeah. And it was just, I don't know. And then they, there was this whole thing. And it's funny that I'm talking about this in the same episode. I'm talking about bloodline, but um, the first episode opens with a scene of a fire in the dorm. And it's seven. The episode, the season is seven episodes long. And each episode opens with another scene from this fire uh, from a different perspective and everything, and it all leads to the fire at the end oh, of the season. Okay. Huh. But the thing that bothered me so much, like I, I, it actually kind of just made me mad, was that every episode leads to this moment, and it, it, there's a fire. It, it, the last episode is it has the fire and everything, and then the last episode is basically um, the resident advisors. Um, under like review from like, from like the school board or whatever. So they have this kind of fake tribunal kind of thing where each character is taking the stand and, and giving their account of what happened so that the, so that the school and, and whatever board can uh, determine who was the cause of the fire. Mm -hmm. 
So what they do with each character goes on the stand and then they say something. They ask him a question like, "Is has, have you ever been in a position to do this? And then it shows a flashback to an episode, to a scene earlier in the season. Oh. So you have multiple characters giving their account of something and then it shows a clip from an early episode. It's essentially a glorified clip show. Seven episodes into the series. That's super lazy. It's so, it bothered me so much. Yeah. So I just went back to just, you know, cleaning and, and doing my laundry while it played in the background. <laughs> Um, is there anyone of note in it or involved with it? Uh, Ryan Hansen. Hope I'm getting that name correctly. Uh, actually, I don't think you've watched this, but he was uh, he was in uh, Party Down. Did you ever watch that? I I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, he was the actor. <laughs> he was kind of the dim-witted actor guy. Okay. Uh, yeah. He's yeah. he plays, and that's another thing. He plays a resident advisor who's like in his th- like he's like thirty-one years old, <laughs> and he's going after like they say it's a kind of a throwaway line in the first episode, but he's like they're like he's getting his like seventh masters or something. He's like just kind uh, of a Van Walder type of character. Yeah. And the whole the premise of the first episode is that the uh, the new head resident advisor played by Jamie Chung, uh, she was in Hangover Part Two, but. Okay. She is like she's either tasked by her boss or decides that she needs to fire Ryan Hansen's character, the the thirty year old guy. So that's like the premise of the first episode, and it's it's written just really just sloppily. And I was mm. like, this could have been like the this could have been like the 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 entry point for the entire season. Like this this could have been like the plot of this season is them trying to, is her trying to catch him up and something but it's resolved really quickly and it's really just really lame and just mm. n- if i would if i were to sum up resident advisors in two words uh it's minimal effort okay. and it's it's a bummer that's a shame yeah um and then let's see uh i'm i'm sorry i'm so long-winded on these but uh hbo go i just within minutes after within minutes of Tiny getting here, I finished uh, Going Clear, the documentary about Scientology, mm-hmm. which, Tiny, you mentioned it on a potpourri episode or a potpourri mm-hmm. section a few episodes back, so I won't harp on it too much, but, man, it was unsettling. Yeah. Um, very unsettling. It was just I, – I, it kind of angered me to, to an extent. Like, mm-hmm. all I thought was, like – I mean, I get – like, being a, being a secular person myself, I can, I can kind of, like, you know – I kind of see the indoctrination of religion in a certain in a certain certain aspect like I, but I can kind of I can still get an appreciation for people who have religion in their lives as mm-hmm. being a source of spirituality and and of of soulful absolution I guess and and something that's a comfort to them. Mm-hmm. I can understand that and I respect that greatly. But I don't see any of that in Scientology. Right. It's it's so just ass backwards and so clearly a a money grab just cult that it's yeah. it's really disturbing to see to see in this documentary and they go into detail about certain things that the church has done and i mean like all i could think about the entire time was i i and i i, I don't think this is likely or or possible or or whatever but i just i hope that there is some like secret uh, FBI like investigation that's going to bring them down like yeah. soon because that's like the kind of the kind of organization that this is 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 it's uh it's I, I hesitate to say the word evil but it's 
evil. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is. It's just like them saying like the different assets and the different like land, how much land that they have. It's like, mm-hmm. it's it's terrifying. To, they've, yeah, they've gained too much power now. Absolutely, that's the problem. Oh yeah, and I mean, it's just it's really unsettling. It is. So yeah, I'm just I'm really I was. I wasn't as affected by it as I was with uh, Mia Maxima Culpa, mm-hmm. but it is a very, very solid um, documentary in its own right. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and then finally, two last things, and I this is it. <laughs> um, uh, Google Play, I rented two movies. One was B- Big Hero 6, which I thought was a cute, uh, cute uh, Disney animated Marvel superhero movie. Um <laughs> It was kind of, you know, it, it worked on me. It, it was cool. I, I like the, it, it's the premise is built around this brotherly connection that that's lost. Um, and then is the, the main character's connection with, with Baymax, the, the very lovable robot. Um, have you seen this tiny? I have not. Okay. It's, it's really touching and it's, it's very nice, but some of it's kind of like, it, it didn't really pull me in emotionally the way that I wanted it to or that I wanted, or that I'm accustomed to from like, uh, from from well, Disney Pixar movies. Yeah. This isn't Pixar, but it's it's Disney Animation Studios, and I, it's not as good as Wreck It Ralph, but it is is very very good in its own right. Okay. Um, yeah, and then last thing, and then done. Uh, I rented Mad Max the original. Nice. Um, yeah, have you seen it? I have, but I I remember next to nothing. Okay. Yeah. I I don't know what it was about it, but I just couldn't get into it like mm-hmm. i couldn't find an entry point to it it was it wasn't quite what i was expecting and i i just kind of i just couldn't latch on to anything in it and it, it's i like i went in with the expectation of watching uh mad max mad max 2 the road warrior beyond thunderdome and then going to the theater and seeing fury road and then after seeing the first mad max i was like i'm I'll I'll go see Fury Road on on my own at some at some point, but I I don't really feel like watching the other two. Yeah, and it's a shame because I've heard that they're really really good. Yeah. Um. So maybe I'll kind of give them a shot at some point mm-hmm. when um they're not when when the I guess bad taste of Mad Max isn't uh in my mouth anymore. <laughs> um. <laughs> so that is my potpourri. Coolness. All right. Well. Uh, that about does it for us. So thanks for listening, guys, and we'll have our pre-record outros coming uh, here to you shortly. So, uh, yeah. Yes, and in honor of Memorial Day, thank you, everyone, for your service. Yes, everyone listening, past and present, in, in the military and all that, thank you for your service. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Well, um, would you say your favorite war movie, Saving Private Ryan? Saving Private Ryan? It's mine. Yeah, I was gonna try to make a joke, but this is such an obscure reference. My favorite war movie is Trojan War, with uh, 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 the guy that played Eric in Boy Meets World and Jennifer Love Hewitt at the height of her fame in the ninety mid nineties. It was like nineteen ninety five. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. The uh, the guy that played Eric, I can't remember his name in real life, but uh, he has a chance to hook up with his with his like crush. It's like a high school comedy. But he needs to find – he doesn't have a condom. So he – it's like the whole – it's like a night where he's running across the city uh, trying to get a condom. And he can't get – like he – all the all of these little uh, <laughs> things befall him. And uh, and Jennifer Love Hewitt plays the, plays the like 
best friend girl that that he doesn't realize that he's in love with, even oh. though she's freaking amazing. Really, Jennifer Love Hewitt plays <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, like 1995, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Tiny. Wow. So, yeah. But play her in that role, that's weird. She's like yeah. the girl everyone pines after. Oh, yeah. yeah. This was like right around Can't Hardly Wait, okay. um, in which she played that character that everyone pined after. Yeah, that's why. And uh, and also, it's worth mentioning that the, that Trojan War, this is purely from memory because I have <laughs> such a... You interest would, in this you movie. would remember I this. I would. Uh, <laughs> it was released, I think it had a full theatrical, maybe not full theatrical run, but it is credited with having one of the lowest uh, box office returns of any movie ever. Oh of any major studio release, at least. Wow. Um, you can look it up. It's, it's very interesting. But it's a, it's a solid movie. It's a fun teen comedy. Hmm. But now that we're done talking about our topic uh, what's your favorite war movie by the way I would say it's Saving Private Ryan Saving Private Ryan that's why I brought it up because I think we've talked as always loyal listeners thank you for listening to the Obsessive Viewer Podcast and thank you of course to Loud Like for providing our awesome opening theme music their first EP uh, their first of a few actually coming out in the next few months check them out uh, anyway it's called Mistakes We Must Make and features our theme song and a clips of events Um, Make sure that you rate and review us on iTunes after you listen to this episode. It helps us out a lot, uh, and it gives us the ability to say, hey, people like us. Also, please like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer, and you can follow each of us on Twitter. You can find Matt at obsessive viewer, tiny is obsessive tiny, and me, Mike, I'm at I am Mike White on Twitter. You can also check out the blog at obsessiveviewer.com where all three of us, but mostly Matt, review movies and TV shows and uh, talk about all kinds of things. It's kind of the the written form of this podcast. Um, You can also check out Obsessive Book Nerd, which has book reviews and commentary on the evolving world of reading. And also check out Tiny's The Secular Perspective, which is a podcast exploring the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. Um, if you have any thoughts on the podcast in general or this particular podcast you just listened to or even suggestions for future podcasts, please, please email us individually at Matt, Tiny, or Mike at ObsessiveViewer.com or you can just email the podcast directly as a whole kind of directed to all three of us at podcast at ObsessiveViewer.com. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other. <laughs>